Hey there, Stephanie here. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in my podcast channel. Today we will be discussing what it's like to go through your last year OT school and hopefully provide some tips on how to make things a bit easier. There are a lot of changes during this time and more of a transition to independent learning. So depending on if you're in a doctoral program or a master's program, you will be either at your level two field work right now or working on DSI and Capstone, which we will be talking about both of these. So I have two guests with me, Cassie and Reva. We are all currently in our last year of school, about to be finishing up on our doctorate. Hey guys, how's it going? Hi! How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Doing well. I'll let you both introduce yourselves a little bit. Okay. Hi, my name's Cassie. And as Steph said, I'm in my last year of OT school, getting excited to be a real life grown up OT. Um, my clinical field works were in acute care and a developmental disability specialty back home in my home state in Wisconsin. Hi guys, I'm Reba. I'm Cassie's roommate. And as Stephanie said, I'm also in my last year working on my DSI and capstone. My field works were in a skilled nursing facility and in an outpatient center back in Pennsylvania. Cool. Thanks, guys. So my first question for you is, what are the biggest differences between your first year and your last year of school? So I would say the biggest differences are like your first year, you're really nervous about starting a new program. You're nervous about like how it's going to be, what you're going to learn. Just everything that you don't know about, whereas in your third year, you're really nervous about taking your boards, finding a job, figuring out what your life's going to look like after being in school for the past how many years. I think it's just changing what your priorities are and how your life's going to be different. I would also have to agree. I think when it comes down to it, the biggest difference for me is simply life gets real. Now you're not just focused on solely like school, fitting in with all your classmates and that sort of thing. Now you're looking for jobs. You're thinking about boards, where you're going to move, like picking up your life and trying something completely new and just getting ready to like kind of settle down and think of life outside of school and what that means. I mean, for some people that went undergrad straight into grad school, school's really all you've known. For those of us, like for me, I worked for two years outside of undergrad and the process definitely feels the same of kind of like being like, okay, now what? I got to get a job. I got to find a place to live. I need to figure out all these things. And I'm lucky to have a partner in crime to figure that out with to be a little bit more stable versus when I was an undergrad where it was kind of like a little bit more fluid, but it's definitely kind of scary to like this thing that you've known and you counted on is coming to an end and figuring out what life is outside of school. Yeah, that's a good point because I was in the same situation as you. I worked for I think about three years or so after after I graduated undergrad. But the thing is, like, I always knew I was going to go back to school. So like you were always in that school mindset. And now it's like, you're not going to be in school anymore. And so it's just a really weird feeling of actually adulting. Yeah, like you take the job and you're like, okay, even if I hate this job, I know I'm going back to school. It's only for X amount of time. 
where now this is what I've spent three years in school and like, I better like it. (laughs) I think the biggest difference for me is that the last year involves a lot more independent learning, which I actually like, but I feel like you run into this problem where you don't feel motivated to do the work that you need to do because you don't have that encouragement of others. So you don't have like the encouragement of your classmates and everybody in school that's around you. So like in a way you have a lot more freedom on how you spend your time because like you don't have like tests to study for or necessarily busy work and homework assignments and things like that. Yeah. And I think like playing into that by your third year, you're feeling pretty burnt out on the whole school thing because there's been so much to learn and so much to do because this is what you want to do with your life. That by the third year, it's kind of hard to stay motivated because you're like, I'm just so close to graduating. And like, I have to do all these things on my own. But now I don't want to do them because I'm just over it, especially like how we come back from field work and have a whole semester. You were just doing what you want to do and working for six months. And now you're trying to get back into the school mode, but also by like doing it yourself. I agree with you, Steph. I definitely think it's a double edged sword. Like on one hand, it's really nice to be like working on your own projects and doing your own thing. But on the other hand, when you're not motivated, it literally feels like you're running up and hitting the wall, like repeatedly, like, why, why am I here? Why am I doing this? And it's like Reba said, I think in our situation, it's difficult because you're coming back from level twos where like, you're in real life OT, like you're treating your clients, you absolutely love what you're doing, you're getting all this great experience, people are respecting your opinion. And then to go back and like sit in a classroom can be really, really difficult when you know that you're just working in the job that you've been working so hard for for the past three years in school. You were doing that. So when you're looking back on your level two field work, do you have any recommendations or tips for future students? I would say one of my biggest things is obviously you're going to be nervous because it's something you've never done before. But don't let all the nerves like interfere with the experience because I know I was so nervous that I was going to mess up. I wasn't going to know what I was doing. And I think for like the first week or so, it really kind of interfered. And I should have just like known that it's okay to not know right off the bat how to do everything. That's what you're there to learn. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think another point is, is like the question lady's going to say it. (laughs) Don't be afraid to ask questions. You're there to learn. People like, that you're learning from know that you're going to have questions. So don't be afraid to ask them. And a lot of times asking a question can save a mistake later on. And I think it's also good to like, you know, you're going to be pushed outside your comfort zone. And a lot of times, especially in the beginning, you're going to feel uncomfortable. Everyone does. And that's normal. Just because you feel uncomfortable doesn't mean that's a bad thing. As you go, you'll gain confidence and you'll gain a lot of valuable skills. And it's always important to remember, like, even if you have a bad day, like, you can still learn from that bad day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely can. And I feel like I've learned the most out of my fieldwork placements. I agree. Yeah. Because you get that personal experience, like that real life experience. And just finally connecting, like, what you've learned in books to, like, an actual, like, person. And then how do you solve that problem of the person in front of you? And I think the point that Cassie made about don't be afraid to ask questions. And I think that's hard. And I know that it was hard for me because 
you know, I wanted to make a good impression to my fieldwork educator. So I wanted to show them like that, you know, I learned a lot from my schooling and that I was prepared and that I knew what I was doing. But like in reality, I was like, I don't really know exactly what I'm doing here. Yes, yes, yes. And you're like, okay, like, I really want to ask this question, but she's kind of intimidating. And so I don't know if I should ask it because then I'll seem dumb. I feel that, Steph. I feel that. And then you should just probably ask it because you'll never know if you don't ask. Because you're working with actual people. You don't want to make a mistake that potentially could harm that person. So it's really important to make sure you ask questions if you don't know. Yeah. And I just... I got to the point where I was the way, same way stuff that like there are definitely days that I, I felt like I'm probably asking the stupidest question on planet Earth right now. But like it's also kind of like swallowing your pride and knowing that like it may be a really dumb question to them or maybe I'm building it up as a dumb question. But like you said, like I'd rather ask that question to ensure that my client is safe rather than not ask that question and have, you know, something bad happen. Or like, I'd rather double check a medication that I saw on the chart, like, look it up really quick online before I go in that room. Or I'd rather double check where the lines are before I transfer someone, even if it caused me to like, stop, take a breath, take a minute, ask a question. Because it's better than ripping out an IV and then having to find the nurse and then having to find like, you have blood everywhere and getting like, all the mess that that ensues even though it's uncomfortable for you like asking that question can save a lot of headache is that something that you guys have experienced like that you were afraid to ask a question and then something happened like where you kind of made a mistake thankfully I didn't really have any experience like that I was really lucky and I had two really great FWEs that I felt really comfortable talking to and asking questions. And even if I like didn't ask, they almost kind of sense and they would like talk me through something. So thankfully, I didn't have anything like that happen. I sort of had one. It wasn't like working with my FWE. It was with other staff. So my second um, clinical was at the Central Wisconsin Center, and it's a a state-run facility for individuals with um, severe developmental disabilities. And the one of my clients I was working with, he is completely wheelchair-bound, like unable to sit up in his chair. So um, he has like a special waist belt to help him keep him in his chair, like scully pads, like his chair is tricked out. And I went to go pick him up one morning for our session and I noticed that his positioning in his chair was really really bad like he was slipping out of his chair left and right and I couldn't believe that you know I was like this doesn't look right so instead of just like wheeling him down the hall I stopped and right outside of his room and I checked him out and it turns out like his lap belt is on and this person has like no like control to stay in their chair so kind of important for them to have a lap belt on he has like um supports around his legs built into his chair and those weren't strapped in and on and like his skull he had one scully pad on and like not only is this uncomfortable for him to be like sitting like this it's not safe for breakdown and all these other reasons but like this isn't right 
So like I kind of had to then go question the staff that got him ready that morning to be like, ah, uh, did you know that my client, you know, isn't positioned right in his chair? Like this is really bad. So he'd kick into extension when he got excited. And if he would have kicked into full body extension, he'd be slip sliding out of his chair. So that was uncomfortable to kind of like question staff because like they're the ones getting them ready every morning. Like as a student, like why isn't he ready like and safely seated in his chair? Like that's not okay. So I guess that was probably the uncomfortable time. And even though it wasn't necessarily like my mistake, but like if I wouldn't have taken the time to like investigate that, it could have been bad. That's a really good point because you feel like as a student, you don't want to push anybody's buttons and you don't want to be the one that like takes charge and things necessarily. But I think like your example, like what you did was really good. I also feel like I can see how you were nervous about like telling a staff member about it because you want to be humble and, you know, more so take the back seat and things. Yeah, and, like, it was hard for me to, like, get up the gumption, especially, like you said, as a student, to, like, go confront that person and be like, listen, this is what I found. And so, like, I did speak to, like, the person on the floor about it, and then I also had to then bring it up to, like, my FWE, and then my FWE had to, like, report it to the head, like, charge nurse on that unit. So, like, It was kind of apprehensive because at the end of the day, like, that person was getting written up. And, like, I don't want to be, you know, that person getting that person in trouble. But it comes down to, you know, the client's safety. Like, that was definitely one time where, like, I felt very anxious, like, confronting people. But I knew that I had to do it. Right. I would say for me, any, like, recommendations that I have – One is pretty self-explanatory, like, make sure you get enough sleep. Um, But also, like you said, make sure you ask questions as much as possible. Try to have, like, open communication because it shows that you want to learn and you want to receive feedback from that person. Um, I would also bring a notebook with you and take notes as you go because that really helped me. And then also, like, be proactive and prepare for the next day. So although like I had a lot, like I had a good amount of homework and extra work outside of going to the clinic, it helped me feel like more prepared for the next day. So like researching any diagnosis that I wasn't aware of, or I would come up with like appropriate exercises to go with it or like group activities. And then I would go and bring up like these ideas to my educator. Yeah, and one more, if you're like FWEs offering you different resources and being like, here, take them, don't feel embarrassed to take them because they obviously have like a wealth of knowledge. And I know one of my fieldwork educators gave me like binders upon binders of resources. And I'm like, give me all of them. (laughs) My second one had like, they had a lot of students in this facility throughout the year, like both OT, PT, and SLP. So like part of our onboarding was all this kind of like essentially like seminars on like their client population. And they came with a bunch of handouts and like we didn't get a lot of like you get like what one lab on feeding. And I had like a three session seminar with all these notes. And so that was really, really helpful and a useful resource. And so like Ruba said, like take them up on that. If you can go to like 
continuing ed during lunch, do it. Yeah, I definitely took advantage of like all the different packets like that they had there. I'm like, can I make a copy of this? Can I make a copy of this? And I like just filled up a whole binder of stuff. Yep. yep. And also, if you don't like your field work, it's not the end of the world. Yes, 12 mm-hmm. weeks is a long time, but in the scheme of life, you're going to make it through. And also, I feel like don't let that leave a bad taste in your mouth for that setting because it could just be a bad experience and you could go somewhere else and love it. So don't keep a bad attitude about it just over 12 weeks. That's a good point. Yeah, I feel like both of my field works, there were some parts of them where I had a really tough time. I was like, I wish I was somewhere else right now. So that brings on my next question. What aspect of field work did you find the most challenging? I would say definitely more so in my outpatient one because some of it was more specialized towards hand therapy and stuff like that. It was kind of hard to like take what we learned in class that's very general and try to apply it to a like specific population like that. I had to do a lot of work of like reviewing anatomy and reviewing like different diagnoses and stuff just because it's not something you get a lot of in school. Well, part of it was like getting back into like the 40 hour a week work rhythm again. When you're in school, like you go to school for like six hours then you go home and do homework. Like, yeah, you're doing all that work, but it's a lot more break, especially when I was in acute care. It's like, okay, I get there at 7 a.m. And like I would get there, my FWU would get there at 730 and I'd purposely get there a half hour before because that was my time to like look at the schedule and like go through our patient sheet and like for me to like look up diagnoses and like I would kind of write down like just a general like each quick diagnosis of who I was seeing that day so I knew like oh I have three knees two hip you know someone on cardiac and then someone like oncology wing and so then I could kind of mentally prepare myself of what my day would look like and then once 7.30 hit, my FW would get there. We were, like, running until lunch. And then you sit down, eat lunch quick. And then you're running until the end of the day. So I think just adjusting to that fast pace was really hard. And, like, to always be moving. And, like, especially in the beginning when you, like, are kind of slow at documentation, it can be difficult to be, like, pushed into the next room when your work's not finished. If you're like me and you like things to be wrapped up in boxes and be done and move before you move on to something else. Um, I would agree with Reba. So I was also at an outpatient and there were a lot of things that I weren't aware of. So it was a lot of looking up things and, like, studying about them the night before. I actually had a lot of downtime on both of my fieldworks. I didn't really get that experience of like fast pace necessarily, unless it was like an odd day, like at my outpatient, which I don't know, I kind of feel like I like the fast paceness. kind of makes your day go by quicker. Yeah, I think it's once you get used to it, I liked it a lot too. Yeah, but in the beginning, you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot keep up. Yeah, it can be really overwhelming. And I think dealing with the feeling that you feel like you don't know anything and it, it kind of brings down your self-confidence and what you're doing, especially since for the most part, like I know for me at my field works, I was mostly on my own. And so I had to come up with my own treatment plans with like little help unless I asked them for help. That was really hard because I felt like I had to be the one to communicate first. 
to my work educators and I was like, eh, you know, cause you're like, I don't want to bother them. They look so busy. They're doing so many notes. Yeah. That was kind of hard for me to try to take the reins in a way, especially in the beginning. Yeah. I totally see that. It's also really hard after your first field work. Cause you finally are like week 12. I know what I'm doing. I could be working here. And then when you get to your second one, it's a whole different ball game. And so you're like, I know nothing again. Back to square one. Yeah. That was kind of hard for my first one. Like I got so comfortable there and like I was pretty confident by the end. And then starting over, I was like, oh no, I want to (laughs) cry. Sometimes you just, you just go home and cry. There's been days where I went home and cry. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, Same. I worked during field work and I cried in front of my manager at my job. So yeah, crying happened. <laughs> I called Reba crying one day. Like, I was like, I'm going to fail. I'm, I made it this far in the program and I'm going to fail. And I just like had that breakdown moment, but I did not fail. I'm still here and it will be okay. Exactly. Yeah, I worked during my field work too. I worked like one day a week and it wasn't even eight hours, so it was all right. But I had like one day off a week. And so my occupational balance wasn't too great because I just slept during that day (laughs) or did chores. So it wasn't that great. (laughs) Yeah, my first one, I I would work both days of the weekend at my job and I'd work all five weekdays at my field work and I'd only have a day off like every third week or something uh yeah it was definitely crazy something (laughs) but my second one thankfully like I did 410 so I had a day off but I didn't have balance because I would just get my work done that I needed to do instead of taking time for myself so yeah that brings me to my next question Considering the time commitment required for field work, how did you manage to take time for yourself and maintain self-care? Cassie, I'll let you take the floor because oh. I did it. <laughs> um, I wasn't great at that. I was kind of crazy on the week between our clinicals. I got married. So my first clinical, I felt like every weekend I was like rushing around trying to do wedding stuff. But my second field work, I felt like I got to see my friends more like that our home. And like we went out one weekend on our friend's boat. And that was really, really nice. But during the week, I definitely was kind of like, okay, I got home from clinical. Now I'm going to make dinner. Now I'm going to watch Netflix for two hours and then go to bed at like 930 and then get up and do it again. And then sometimes on the weekend, I'd like, hang out with my husband and our friends and do fun things. But for the most part, I was like, clinical, eat, maybe read a book, go to bed, do it again. Mm-hmm. But I don't really have the best track record with my occupational life balance. So I'm probably not the best person to ask. Yeah, it's like, don't take notes from us. <laughs> Find something like every day, if, even if it's like 10 minutes, or half hour of every day that brings you joy. If that's like recharging by reading or watching a show or like talking to a friend or working out, I should have done a little bit more working out, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it seems like a lot of people didn't really have the best occupational balance. Like you said, like it's good to have at least one day a week where you know, you take time to do things that you like to do. So whether it's read a book or 
cook a fun meal or go see your friends or go to the local brewery or something like that. (laughs) Try the new IPA. (laughs) So did you have any conflicts or differences and opinions with your FWE or any of the coworkers and how did you manage it? Well, (laughs) one thing at one of my clinicals, being in a doctoral program, not everyone in the field super supportive of that. So I had after a meeting, somebody like called me out. One of the other therapists said, I can't believe you're going to get your doctoral degree. That's absolutely ridiculous. Like you're just wasting your time and money. And then all the other therapists in the department basically agreed with her. And so that was kind of difficult because it's hard when like people don't really understand why you're doing what you're doing or like why you're getting your degree. And so that was kind of difficult. And I didn't really stand up for myself because I was like, one, I'm getting graded by these people. Two, like at the end of the day, like I'm not going to change their minds about it. And I did talk to my FWE about it. And by the end of 12 weeks, she kind of finally said to me, like, I get why you are in a doctoral program and I understand why you're doing it. And I basically, to her, I just straight up had the conversation like, look, we're switching over to OTD here within our profession. If I would have got my master's, I would eventually have to go back to school to be like competitive and to apply for jobs that I'd want. I don't have the luxury of having 30 years of experience like you do. And after that conversation with my FWE, She's like, okay, I get why you made that decision, and I respect that decision. So that was a difficult time for me because a lot of times I just kind of, like, would put my head down and just, like, work hard. For me, I was like, I don't know how to tell you that this is meaningful to me other than to, like, work hard and show you a good work product. Yeah, like I said earlier, I had two really great FWEs, so I thankfully didn't have any conflict with them because if I did, I probably wouldn't have done anything because that's I'm not good at conflict. But I did notice like that a lot of times once you're there for a while, if there's like staff drama, they'll try to pull you into it because like basically taking your FWE's place. And my biggest advice is like, do not get involved in it. Yeah. Switzerland. Yeah. Like there were definitely times where I'd have like a coda or something come up to me and try to like get someone else in trouble or like stir the pot yeah and I'd be like you know what just um leave me out of it so that's my biggest thing of advice is like do not get involved in the staff drama at all that's good advice and I think that's just like workplace politics in general like no matter where you work there's going to be some kind of like drama or like workplace politics the best advice I've learned is just to kind of like remain neutral and don't get yourself caught up in it There was a lot of drama in my second field work at the outpatient and they tried so hard to like push their beliefs that this one PT was not a good person and they were would literally talk about it every single day about all the supposed bad things about her and such and I just sat there and I listened but I never said anything like I never put in my feedback or like my opinions because I'm like and if they asked about like anything about her like to me like what do you think I would just be like I don't know her like I don't really have any opinions and I think that's a really good point about like drama because you will see that everywhere like that happens everywhere 
And I think the sooner you learn, like, how to deal with it and how to be Switzerland or, like, how to be professional about it, the better that's going to be for you just go moving forward. Because, unfortunately, like, everywhere I've worked from, like, my first job lifeguarding at a pool to, like, oh, big girl job, like, has had drama between people that I worked with. So, during my second field work, I did run into like some differences with my FWE because I felt like I was always judged by her. And I think we just had very different personalities where she wasn't very communicative with me. And so I always had to be the one to, you know, communicate with her first, which is fine. But we were just so different in a way like how we, you know, I would always try to prepare and she would do things last minute all the time. And it just kind of gave me anxiety because I would be like, I need to like come up with a plan, you know, a treatment plan beforehand. I don't want to just like go into it blindly. Yeah. I try to push through it like the best that I could, even though it was like so hard, but it was pretty stressful. But like at the end of the day, um, it actually turned out to be like a really, really great experience regardless. And it was probably like the best most like rewarding experience I had and like ended up being that like oh like she actually thought that I was like a really good worker and that I did a great job and it was just like oh well I guess that hard work paid off I definitely agree with that stuff like hard work beats you know differences in people time after time one of my FWs I had like we were kind of opposite she's very blunt says exactly what's on her mind no filter I'm a people pleaser. I'm kind of quiet. And like, I think that if we would have met like earlier in her career, I think we would have been a lot alike because she's very like passionate about like some of the things I'm very passionate about also like as a new practitioner. But like after working for like a long time and like being at this um, one job for like 30 plus years, I think it kind of like you get jaded after a while. And I think me being there as a student kind of helped her also. And at the end of it, like, was it stressful at times? Yes, because we have two very different communication styles, similar to what you said, Steph, but have a mutual respect for one another. And like, we really learned a lot from each other, even though sometimes it was stressful. And I have a lot of respect for her. We're all doing our DSI and capstone project right now. So as we're going through this process, what advice do you have for future OT students? Pick something that you're not going to get sick of after 14 weeks and 500 plus hours. It's more than 14 weeks because we spend like a whole semester before this working on it. That's (laughs) true. I think, yeah, pick something, you know, you're going to like, especially like kind of touching back on your topic of being an independent learner. Obviously, pick something you have an interest in, one. And two, like, know yourself. Like, if I work super, super hard and have a really, really productive day and, like, I'm just in the zone and going, like, ride that out, get your work done, that's awesome. But then, like, don't beat yourself up the next day if it's, like, pulling teeth to, like, get your work done for that day. If your work's getting done, it's high quality. Like, that's the important part, not necessarily, like, making sure that you're sitting down from this time to this time to get your work done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. How has the process been different working on DSI and Capstone during COVID? And have there been any pros and cons? I miss my friends. I miss you, Steph. 
I miss you guys too. <laughs> Weird as that sounds, like I miss like bouncing ideas off of my classmates. Luckily, I have Reba. She's probably sick of it. It's week six now, right? <laughs> probably sick of it. But I like miss you know seeing people. For me, like also seeing other people in the zone doing work can help me like sit down and do work. So that's kind of hard. I miss coffee shops and doing work. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I second all that. It's kind of hard too because my project is all virtual. So I'd either be sitting at school all day or I'd be sitting here. So like my project didn't really change. So that's a pro. But I'd say the con is like, there's no reward to like sitting down and getting your work done, being stuck at your apartment all the time. So Mm -hmm. usually I'm like, well, I have to work really hard today and get this done because tomorrow I want to go hang out with my friends. But now it's like, well, I'm going to be here all day today and all day tomorrow for the foreseeable future. So who cares if I get that done today? But that's not a good attitude. (laughs) And I think like, at least the beginning of COVID, I had a lot of anxiety. And I'm I'm not overly anxious. I probably have some Oh, Rupa's making faces at me. I guess I'm anxious. <laughs> I don't think I'm like overly super like anxious. I'm probably a little uptight, but like <laughs> the beginning of like COVID, I was like stressed out to the max. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so worried about my family. Like, I'm so worried about my husband. I'm so worried about my friends. I'm so worried about myself. Like, I'm like states away from all my family and you know other friends there too like it was terrifying because you didn't know what was happening and like now it's obviously a little bit better but like it's also kind of scary like watching numbers go up and you're like oh no is this the second wave are we going to be able to come together in August and you know present this project that we've literally been working on at this point for almost two years with all like the work ahead of it that we did in school so it's like stressful that life of unknown that's what gets me about the COVID is the life of unknown yeah because that's a very real possibility that we don't graduate together and like celebrate that like we'll get our diploma but like when are we gonna all come together as a cohort and like celebrate the fact that we did this crazy thing right I would say the pros for me is that you get to make your own schedule if you're well, especially if you're working from home and you're doing things virtually like you are Reba and I am as well. And Cassie, you're virtual as well. So you have less travel time. You spend less money, which is nice because we're all poor. (laughs) (laughs) And then if you're like me and you like to stay up till two in the morning, you know, that's totally doable if you choose to do that. And you have more time to exercise and sleep in if that's something that you do, if you feel motivated to do that, because that's also hard to do that at times to exercise. We've been hitting the gym recently. We've been doing good. Not to brag, but we've been doing pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) And then I would say the cons are, you know, lack of a daily routine, keep you motivated. And then like you guys said, like you're unable to go to your local coffee shop, you know, to get some work done. Yeah, I think motivation's a huge thing. Like, especially, like, once you get to the point, like, I feel like you're at this point right now, Reba, where it's like, I have these large projects that I can't check off my to-do list at the end of the week. So that part is hard to stay motivated. For me, like, I have part of my project that I get to check off every week, like, 
produce a, a neuroscience tutoring video. Like I can check that off my to-do list every week. What's hard for me is like, all right, I have to go back in and edit my intro methods and go over like my results and analyze my data where that takes a little bit more time or like I just spent a week and a half writing this thing and now I have to I got edits back and have to redo it which isn't a bad thing it's all part of the process but it never feels like done yeah speaking of burnout that we were talking about earlier have you been experiencing any burnout and what are some things you do to either avoid it or try to deal with it Heck yeah, there's yes. Um, Again, I don't have a healthy work-life balance. So sometimes I like sit there and I'm like, I'm burnt out. I'm not getting any work done, but I have to get work done. Or there's other times, like today, Kathy and I <laughs> laid on the air mattress and watched Real Housewives all day long. Our work-life balance is all about like excess. Either I'm excessively working <laughs> or I'm excessively doing nothing. Like today I was like, I am laying on this air mattress because our couch isn't company and we're binge watching TV. So I would say we deal with burnout by binge watching TV. I stress shop whenever I'm feeling burnt out because a new piece of clothing or shoes really brings me joy and revives me. I'm also poor because of COVID. (laughs) (laughs) I like food, like cooking and baking helps relax me. Oh, you can cook for me and bake for me anytime. <laughs> I bake for you all the time. Okay, so we have this recipe, and it's literally, it makes two cookies. Buy the Smitten Kitchen. Love, Deb. So Two cookies? Two cookies. But so it's massive. perfect. But they're like the size of your hand. But it's perfect, because then you eat the two cookies, and then you don't eat, like, seven cookies. Ah. But yeah, so, like, sometimes I do that. Most of the time, I just, like, get stressy and depressy. And I complain. Yeah. And then I just work because, you know, my work's not going to get done by me complaining. Mm-hmm. But burnout, and you're going to have it, and it's normal, and it sucks, but just find something that makes you happy, even if it's laying on an air mattress all day. Or, like, realize, like, when it's okay to stop working. Like, if you're feeling burnt out and you're not producing quality work, Sometimes it's better just to quit working and take a break and do something else and come back to it later and produce a better quality of work. Because if if you take like a break for two hours and like make lunch, eat lunch, like chillax, get your mind off of it and then hit it hard again, sometimes taking that two hours off to kind of recharge is going to be way better for you in the long run than sitting there and like getting more burnt out and more frustrated that you're not getting your work done. Or you take five hours off. Or the rest of the day. (laughs) or the rest of the day just as long as you get your work done eventually (laughs) and like like you said earlier like that's kind of the beauty of like working on your own schedule it's like the double-edged sword like you need to be structured enough that you're getting your work done but not like burning yourself out I've experienced burnout since last year I would say yep I feel like last year you've been in school for two years and you're like so close to field work that you're burnt out and then you are on field work, and if you don't have the work-life balance, you get burnt out. And then you come back, and you're burnt out because now you're back in the classroom, and you're almost done, and you just came back from field work. And then you're you hit DSI, tea. and you're burnt out from the last semester, and you're so close to being done. And then you hit boards, and then same for know, boards, and you get burnt out from that. And then you hit your real-life job, and you're burnt out because it never ends. And I guess the moral of the story is, like, burnout's real. It's going to happen. 
you have to find a healthy way of coping with that. And I think this like past year, I've really realized I have trash occupational life balance. <laughs> like absolute trash. <laughs> and like, I see that in myself. And I think it's like the first step is realizing it. I've realized it and I'm not good at it. And so like, I need to build in time for some self-care and self-love. Also, watching Queer Eye has helped me realize that I need to work my self-care. So my DSI mentor, like, the one day I was like, well, how are you doing? And I was like, good. And she's like, are you, like, taking any time for yourself? And I was like, well, I admit I have a horrible work-life balance. Like, I know it. And she was like, but what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, I admitted it. That's good enough. (laughs) And then I tried to change the subject because I don't like to talk about it. Oh my gosh. I just, I think I try to fill my time with buying plants. (laughs) And see, like, having that little, like, joy or, like, happy area of your house can, like, help you recharge. My last question is, do you have any final thoughts for the incoming third-year OT students on the last year of their program? Rule number one, don't panic, always, for everything. But also, like, take a breath enjoy your time and enjoy the people that you're with like the people that you're around like yes sometimes they might like drive you to drink and drive you crazy but like you've gone through three years working so hard with your peers and now you're like going off to do this these really cool DSI projects and like just be excited for them and like and also like be excited for yourself because you're accomplishing so much and like take a moment to just like remind yourself of that or like remind yourself of like what your end goal is and why you're here and like how you've worked so hard to get to this point because now the journey is almost done. So DSI and capstone can seem really annoying sometimes and you're gonna complain about it but also think that like this is a time to get to do all these really cool things that you might not get to do ever again. And so sometimes, like, when I'm real negative about it, I try to think about, like, all the things that I'm getting out of this that, like, I would never do if I didn't have this opportunity, and I probably will never get to do again. So try to think positive. Those are some really awesome points. It's interesting because when I'm, you know, for this DSI, when I'm doing these interviews, like, the two things that I'm pretty much hearing from everybody are make sure you have occupational balance and do the things that you enjoy doing and take time for those things and don't overwork yourself and make sure you spend time with your peers and with your family members and your friends like those are the two like two things that I've been hearing a lot from people just sound like recommendations this sounds really nerdy and I'm a nerd so sorry not sorry but I wrote the acknowledgments of my capstone, like, the first day we did it, like, my thank yous page or, like, people I I appreciate in my life for, like, helping me get through this. And, like, when I'm having a really rough day and I, like, don't want to work on my capstone or I don't want to do my stuff, sometimes I read it so that I remember, like, this is why I'm doing it. And, like, it's for, like, myself, but also all these people that have helped me along the way. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's pretty nerdy and sentimental. Yeah, I haven't done anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for joining me in this episode. Thank you. No, Steph, thanks for having us on. And thank you for bringing up these topics because it's real. And I'm glad that facilitating a conversation about it.
Thank you. And I'm sure that you guys like will provide a lot of important insight for future students. One can only hope. Don't be like me. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.